Hello and a warm welcome to Living Fabulously with Bev. The mission for the show is to get to the heart of well-being through inspirational stories of everyday people, expert insights from a number of health and lifestyle related disciplines, and exploration of topics that underpin well-being. If you want to take control of your well-being and prioritize yourself, then this is the podcast for you. I want you to feel calm, nurtured and inspired so you can enjoy your life and your success. I bought into the six hours of sleep thing, but it resulted in a health crisis and I lost my six-figure business. I realized that sleep wasn't wasted time. It's when my body does its magic. It's not as simple as just deciding to sleep longer. You need to prioritize sleep, change your sleep story and have tools that make it easy. That's why I created Sleep Fabulously. Head to sleepfabulously.com to sign up now. Join me on this journey and let's live the fab life together. Hello and welcome. It's Bev from Living Fabulously. And today I'm delighted to have my guest as Dr. Sam Shea. Welcome, Sam. Thank you. I'm really, really happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. I heard Sam recently talk and I just thought, wow, this is a fresh perspective and I wanted to share this with you as listeners or viewers. And today I wanted Sam just to tell us more about what it is that he does and why. So my my background is that I'm a functional medicine practitioner. I'm a doctorate of chiropractic. I have a degree in acupuncture and I'm a certified pitchings practitioner, which is a specialized genetics analysis the lab is actually in Australia, but even if you are not in Australia, uh, like people can send their 23andMe or Ancestry.com data there or do fresh swabs from around the world and send it there. And the reality is, is that dealing with people with chronic issues like fatigue or so-called adrenal fatigue, it's usually a multimodal issue. I mean, it certainly was my history having to deal with just it's a terrible bout for, of 12 years from age 6 to 18. And because of the experience I went through as a child through a teenager and then devoting the rest of my life to natural medicine, I have specialized in uh, or focused in helping people with chronic issues, particularly things like debilitating fatigue, because that's certainly what I went through. And I had to go through multiple different styles of training just from all over, everything from working with mind-body medicine for over 20 years looking at naturopathic nutrition for over 20 years, looking at logical nutrition for over 20 years, uh, going into Chinese medicine, uh, a brief stint in looking at um, Ayurvedic medicine, but decided to opt towards more uh, uh, Chinese medicine and Western naturopathy for a variety of reasons. The getting uh, my doctorate in chiropractic and then focusing on neurology as well while I was in chiropractic school. Because if you know neurology, you have to know everything else underneath it, nutrition, physiology, anatomy, pathology, and so on. And what I found was that by working with people with really debilitating issues, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, autoimmune, and so forth, and of course, adrenal, you know, so-called adrenal fatigue, and I found that there was a lot of common, that there was 10 common areas that people were struggling with. And 10 pillars of health is the term I've come up with. And what I found is that people with chronic issues have a minimum 7 out of 10 pillars crumbling, which explains why people who are under a chronic state have a great deal of difficulty getting better because 
almost all clinicians and protocols and products, if they're honest, are really good at one to three, maybe five pillars, not seven plus. And when I reflected on my own history, why it took me, you know, two decades to figure out what in the world was going on with me, I had all 10 pillars in spades. And it started like when, when I was a child and I had, uh, you know, my six years old, my parents had terrible, like a truly, truly awful divorce where uh, parents were weaponizing the kids against the, against the other parent. Um, a lot of bullying and violence at school, uh, and so that's just that's just one pillar. That's the emotional pillar, and then there's nine others I was dealing with as well. <laughs> you know, the the hormone pillar, where uh, the brain and hormone pillar, where I was just constantly under adrenal stress from the survival issues of everything that was going on, a uh, a, a bowel and uh, digestive issue where I was severely constipated, couldn't go except every three to five days. That may not sound like much. I said, well, that's weird, but that was for 12 years. Wow. And, and if you, if you ask any newborn, any, any parent with a newborn or a toddler or whatever, if the child is super cranky, what is the first question that is asked intuitively by every parent? Have you pooped? But somehow around like age four, that question is not asked anymore or five. But it still affects people's mood, and certainly it affects their their digestion and their ability to absorb nutrients to help their brain and their growth and everything else. But it also uh, affects the, the liver because if you can't, I mean, you can't live in a house in a toilet that doesn't flush, not for very long at least. And it's the same issue with um, it's the same issue with the uh, with the colon is that you can get autotoxic, so to speak. I other issues with my physical body where I was in chronic pain from sitting all the time, you know, addicted to television and video games. And I thought back pain was normal as a child. It's just, just you no, know, I mean, that and being on the wrong end of violence, I was in pain because of injuries. And the third, fourth pillar of movement and exercise, like I just sitting all day in school and sitting in front of TV all day. I mean, I have a, I have a spinal issue because of all that. Um, just just not getting the movement that was needed to not only help my muscle growth and my physical growth, but also to help drive my frontal lobes because movement is a nutrient to feed the frontal lobes. And one of the frustrating things for people with chronic fatigue or adrenal fatigue or just any type of fatigue um, is that there's this downward spiral of like you're too tired to move, but you need movement in order to wake up your brain. And so it becomes this really weird spiral down we just get more and more tired and one of the things i've done in my practice is that i've removed the word exercise because that's a real trigger word for people who like can't exercise because they're so tired or in so much pain or they get flared up or they're exhausted afterwards or they're afraid of it because they just it just backfires i don't say exercise i say movement because it's a much more calmer like and it's more realistic also like walking and tai chi or qigong or, or whatever Whatever types of movement is, is is a fantastic way to get started. Fifth pillar is biotoxins. Um, I had uh, was given lots of really bad food. You know, my my morning breakfast were like bagels, and I can't believe it's not butter, which is a form of margarine. Uh, you know, random cheese, and my my lunches were like ramen noodles and spaghettios. <laughs> I had breakfast cereals, and then I had like candy and and fast food during the week. 
mean, dinners had some semblance of real food, but it was just it was just toxic. And I had a mouthful of mercury from all the cavities I got from also being a sugar addict to cope with all the stress of home and school. Six pillars bionutrients. I had, um, you know, if you eat bad food, you get rid of good food. So I didn't get all the essential real nutrition from real food. Also, another thing I put under bionutrients is oxygen and sunlight. And I was a super shallow breather because I was under chronic stress all the time. And I was inside because of school and just being in playing video games. I mean, sure, there was like in times in the summer, but but the rest of the year was pretty much just, just trapped inside. The seventh pillar was breakfast and routines. And my breakfasts, as I described, were, were pretty terrible. I actually had a coffee habit at age six because I was so tired that I had to have coffee as a child to stay awake. Now, my, my mother thought, Coffee was a lesser evil because she thought the only way for me to get milk in me, because, you know, she thought milk was good for me, um, <laughs> which it wasn't, uh, was that I should allow me some coffee. But I was so, t- because I was so tired. And because I was, one reason I was so tired, just jumping ahead to pillar 10, was the sleep or bedtime pillar. I was a se- severe insomniac. You know, I couldn't get to, couldn't get to bed, couldn't stay asleep and wake up at 3 a.m. on the dot for over 10 years. I would, um, then wake up exhausted to this super loud screeching alarm to just remind me it's time to go to that hell known as school again. And this, that's where the coffee came in at age six. I mean, some people may feel like it's a bit scandalous to give a child coffee. Well, you know, to each parent their own and the consequences they're in. Uh, the eighth pillar is the stress pillar, bothers pillar, and that's, you already described that. Ninth pillar is bugs or hidden infections and mold. And so I had a hidden infection from summer camp. No one really caught for a while. And that, that affects gut and mood. And tenth pillar, as I describe, is bedtime or sleep. So I had severe insomnia. So I had all ten pillars as a child for a decade. And it stunted my growth, affected all sorts of, uh, all sorts of health problems that I was, I was having. But no one was taking them seriously because I grew up in a family of medical doctors and the, they thought it was a medication deficiency or it was in my head or both. And I decided at age um, 18 to devote my life to natural medicine because Western medicine was failing. I mean, it's great for emergencies, assuming they get there in time and don't screw up, but it wasn't helping me with all of this really like chronic kind of unsolved mystery fatigue and illness that, that wasn't being taken care of. So I devoted my life to natural medicine. And that's why I, I focus on the, the people that I help with, you know, like, uh, the people who have been through multiple products, protocols, and practitioners, because that was my journey. Like mm. I went through, I didn't come to the 10 pillars at age 18. I came to it in my early thirties, reflecting back, looking through, working with people really sick. And I was like, okay, wait a minute. There's 10 factors here. Wait a minute. I had these 10 factors. Oh, I had to combine a bunch of factors together synergistically in order to actually properly heal because every I was chasing magic bullets all the time, like magic bullet therapy, maybe this supplement, maybe this you know meditation technique, maybe this diet. No, no, no. It's that diet. No, definitely not that diet. Now it's this diet. No, wait. No, saw a podcast. Saw, saw Dr. Oz. It's that diet now. Um, and I was like, oh, it's all about detox. And then I hurt myself doing detox, which is very common, actually. And then, oh, it's it just going magic bullet to magic bullet, hoping this next mm-hmm. thing. And the frustration of 
watching other people get well off these stupid magic bullets that weren't working for me. I don't know if you've had that experience, but it's certainly been the experience of many people I've worked with. But the 10 pillars model actually explains why the magic bullet worked for them and not for me. Because if they have like one or two pillars that are at 30% and all the rest are at 80%, and then they just try one magic bullet after another, then they suddenly land on whatever, the, the, the special goji bear use, they squirt up their nose or whatever. Then then suddenly they go from 40% up to 80% and they feel like, oh, this is the thing. This was the magic bullet. Everyone needs this. And then they go a career and a multi-level marketing thing and whatever it is, selling their magic bullet du jour. And then when it doesn't work for someone, the answer is almost always, oh, you just need more of the goji berry juice up the nose. <laughs> and, 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 this, and it becomes this, this trope of, Oh, you just—it's just the magic bullet, or it just keeps, and and it becomes this really weird. At some point, for me anyway, and for a lot of people I've worked with, there becomes this: I'll never get better. Idea: I'll never get better. There's something inherently wrong with me. I'm doomed to this. And having the i the the having the framework of the ten pillars of health really help contextualize why people were getting better on these magic bullets and why people weren't getting better because they all had set people were chronic at seven plus pillars that were were crumbling and Mm. and then later on i then got into functional testing where you actually tested the organ systems like test the adrenal glands through salivary testing you can test the thyroid through blood testing you know not just tsh which is what most gps do but actually test T3, T4, and the antibodies and reverse T3 to see, is it a thyroid problem? You can detect if it's an adrenal issue based on some T3 ratios. And you can also see, well, is it a thyroid issue? Is it an autoimmune issue to the thyroid, which is then you look towards the gut. And then there's gut testing for hidden parasites and you know digestion markers and inflammatory markers. You can even now test the mitochondria, which is the powerhouse of the cell. A lot of people who think they have adrenal fatigue actually have mitochondrial collapse. I've seen this over and over again. You run both the mitochondria and the adrenal test, and I've had perfect adrenal, completely collapsed mitochondria, but the symptoms look very similar to adrenal fatigue. So people are trying to do an adrenal protocol because they feel tired and all the symptoms match up, but it's not an adrenal issue. It's actually a mitochondrial issue. That's why I typically run both at the same time to see is it one or the other or worst case, of course, is both. And then genetics testing, that just opened up an entire universe of explaining why people, there's inflammatory fatigue. I mean, that's a whole, that, that's a side of fatigue that, that people aren't talking about, is that people can have an inflammatory-based fatigue. And the genes, especially the lab in Australia, they've organized the genetics analysis to just, just, just make genetics actually make sense instead of being overwhelming, confusing, and frankly scary. Because uh, some people do a 23andMe and they're like, oh my God, I have the MTHFR gene or whatever, whatever the scary, you know, the boogeyman gene of the day is. And, and the reality is, is that almost all those boogeyman genes, like the so-called Alzheimer genes, the so-called breast cancer gene, or the so-called, you know, you know, methylation gene or whatever, those are all downstream from the 15 major inflammatory genes, the three main mitochondrial free, ra- free radical questions. Uh, quenching genes, liver detox genes, and the vitamin D receptor genes. 
So you look at the drivers that push the whole process, and then what manifests is downstream whatever the so-called disease genes are. So you can even look at genetics from a functional standpoint and, and put all these things together, lifestyle analysis with, with the 10 pillars of health, functional testing and genetic testing to clarify what's actually going on in the body and in the genes. And you can create a complete customized package for people, lifestyle, diet, nutrition, to reverse the whole process based on science and lifestyle, not based off hype off of a podcast, a television show or whatever your best friend's goji berry juice company is selling. Yeah, or what's the latest trend or fad. So thanks. That was jam-packed. Lots of stuff there in our first question. So you've answered a couple of other questions. That's great. Thanks, Sam. Today I wanted to talk more about, you've mentioned it already, adrenal fatigue. So it's the, it is the favorite word at the moment. So it was chronic fatigue a while ago. Now it's adrenal fatigue or sometimes people you know, maybe cross over into fibromyalgia because mm -hmm. people in, you know, the Western medical system don't seem to understand what we're dealing with today. So I thought it would be really helpful if you could explain what adrenal fatigue is and why it's on the rise today. Sure. So the, the term adrenal fatigue was, was kind of popularized by Dr. James Wilson, pardon me, Dr. James Wilson in the late nineties with his book, Adrenal Fatigue, the 21st Century Syndrome. I've trained with Dr. Wilson, uh, he's an extremely intelligent kind of grandfatherly kind man. And he's, he's really done a good job um, giving people uh, the, the lay public an awareness on the adrenal glands. The, the term itself has been under assault by Western medicine. And there's, there's reasons for that. One, because in Western medicine, the problems with the adrenals are under, it, it's a, it, if you look at a bell curve or what's technically called for the Scrabble enthusiast, the Bernoulli distribution, uh, the bell curve in medicine for diseases is, has to do with statistical um, quartiles or quintiles, and that you've got people on the outer two and a half percent, so the ninety-seven and a half percent above and the two and a half percent below. This is where you have Addison's and Cushing's disease, which is either two Cushing's is too high adrenal and Addison's is too low adrenal. So they see disease as only operating those two extremes. But the adrenal fatigue is the gray space in between. So there's that functional because it, it's like from the middle of the bell curve to to the all the way out to the two and a half percent on either side. That's assumed to be normal, and that doesn't make any sense at all. It's it's could be defined as non pathological, like not having the diagnosed pathology of the disease. But it's not normal because you if you're like a two point six percent. Of the low end of cortisol is that that's technically normal, but you're feeling exhausted. And if you're at 97.4%, you're still technically normal according to the statistics, but you feel awful. So the fatigue, the adrenal fatigue is in that gray space. Now, adrenal fatigue by itself is a, is a term that is sometimes awkward because some people can have hypercortisolism, meaning too much cortisol. So the adrenal glands secrete a hormone called cortisol, which controls blood sugar, uh, it, it affects your inflammation, it affects your stress levels, it changes how your whole system's response to stress hormone. People can have too much of it, and they that's called hypercortisolism. It's a more accurate term than adrenal fatigue. 
And if people have too much cortisol, they burn and they burn through all their resources. Now, people can get a lot of stuff done, but if your cortisol spikes up, particularly in the evening, you have trouble sleeping. So a very common sign of people with adrenal fatigue, quote unquote, adrenal, is they're really tired in the morning. They have hypocortisolism, too little in the morning, but they have too much at night as opposed to what it should be in the reverse. It's a very common sign of adrenal fatigue is they have this kind of flip-flop sinusoidal energy uh, output during the day. And the people who have, you know, hypocortisolism, they're really tired, but their energy can be perked up by sugar or eating or caffeine. So frequently people spike their energy levels during the day with sugary snacks or, or sweet foods or processed grains, coffee, caffeine, or otherwise, to get that spike, then they crash, spike, then they crash, spike, then they crash. And then at some point, like after six o'clock at night, like their energy just goes up and it stays up. And then finally, they're like, oh, I can finally get stuff really done because I can focus. And then they don't sleep well. And then they wake up exhausted and the cycle continues. So what adrenal fatigue is, is, is that dysfunction of the, reg, of the rhythm of the adrenal gland, where it should be high in the morning, and it should gradually go down during the day, and it's lowest at night so you can sleep. And so why do you think it's on the rise? Is it because we're more aware, Sam, that the fact this is, that this exhaustion is not normal? Or what is it? What is, is it environmental, circumstantial? You mentioned some things about stress earlier. So the, the reason why it's on the rise, and, and I'll, give, I'll give some visuals here just to make it easy. Now, you don't need the visual. The visuals are helpful, but they're not necessary. So for people who are watching this on YouTube, you'll have the benefit. For those of you who are listening, you can always, you can always go to, to Bev's YouTube channel. The reason why it's on the rise uh, has to do with the 10 pillars of health. And when you look at the 10 pillars... The, the, the brain and hormones, bowel and digestion, body and genetics, burst exercise, movement, biotoxins, bionutrients, breakfast and routines, bothers and stressors, bugs and hidden infections, and mold, bedtime and sleep. You look at what's happening in modern society, and first of all, people are becoming more sedentary, which then affects, you know, all these pillars affect everything else. So we're becoming more sedentary, which means we're not stimulating our brains, which affects our fatigue levels. We're also not moving our circulation, which helps feed nutrition to the rest of our body. We're under constant stress because we're, life is not simple anymore. Sources of stress include not just work stress and family stress and um, you know, midlife crises or, dealing, or concerns about one's children or whatever it is, but screen stress is massive. There, there's a reflex called the tectospinal reflex in the body. It's, it's again, for the Scrabble enthusiasts, tectospinal reflex, if you want to look it up. But basically, it's when the eye is triggered to look at something where there's a rapid change in color, motion, and brightness, we target. It's like a police siren. The, the blue lights, it's moving. So that's a change in motion, rapid change in motion. It's a change in color, red, blue, red, blue, red, blue. And it's a change in brightness. You know, the light comes towards you, it's bright, dims away. All of those things together trigger an ancient paleolithic reflex to target it's like if we're walking in the in the forest or in the bush like there's a flash of orange in the corner of your eye like is that a tiger like you, you turn and look and that automatically fires the stress response that if if you are if your eyes dart 
you automatically fire your, your adrenal stress system because just in case it is a tiger or a pack of wolves or a bear or a pack of dingoes or whatever it is, you have to be ready to run now. You can't like, wait, is it an old tiger? Is it, are they little puppies? Like it's, you don't, you don't have time. You, you got to preemptively load your stress system to then drive blood and fuel to your muscles to sprint away or fight for your life. And the screens, the flickering light, the, you know, the, the, the scrolling, you know, all these things, the rapid change in color, motion, and brightness, brightness that are affecting the tectospinal reflex that are driving your stress response on top of that, you've got this dopamine addiction cycle of, of looking for newness, looking for threat, looking for recognition, like all these things that Facebook do, they trigger on very old neurological neurotransmitter loops to seek for validation, seek for threat or seek for, um, uh, what was the third one I just said before? Threat, acknowledgement, novelty. Those three, those three things fire off the dopamine system. So you've got this conversion issue of combining your stress response with, with all of these needs for cultural acknowledgement, threat, and novelty. And that just fires a stress system and you also end up with dopamine depletion. So then you feel like uh, not excited. So then you just want to be stimulated again. I mean, this, this, this is now we're, de- we're delving into my addiction side of it and talking about the, the, the neurological evolutionary, um, reasons why people are addicted to screens and then you've got sugar on top of that and sugar like people can be addicted to sugar because we're supposed to be addicted to sugar which then drives the adrenal glands because when you have sugar your cortisol spikes uh and then and if you're also tired you're craving sugar and but anthropologically we're supposed to go crazy on sugar because as hunter-gatherers sugar was very rare you know fruit was in season a couple times a year for maybe a couple weeks a year and that's it and if you saw a big berry bush, like, and you start eating it, you, like, you go crazy. Like, you, you're not full. You just keep stuffing yourself. And, and there's good evolutionary reasons why. Because that berry bush for the day can give you enough calories potentially for two weeks if there's enough of it there. But you got to get to that berry bush and eat it before the bears, the bees, the, the deer, the bugs, uh, rot, mildew, and other tribes people get to it first. So the, the body has a built-in mechanism to make you crazy around sugar because you're supposed to be because you have a small window to get it before everyone else or everything else does. So a lot of people who are addicted to are dealing with sugar and which of course feeds the adrenal fatigue and any other type of fatigue is that you're, you're fighting against, you know, however many years of evolution <laughs> of your reaction to sugar. So it's, it's becoming more of a problem going back to the, the root of the question of why is it more common? What? Yes, there is more education on it for sure. And then you've got the concomitant retaliation against that education by, you know, Google and pharmaceuticals and so on and astroturfing. But you've got people who are having sugar is everywhere. Screens are everywhere. People can't tolerate boredom. Boredom is the most sinister, stressful, thought on the planet and people don't realize it's stressful that's why it's so sinister and they just fidget and then they just quickly check their phone which drives their dopamines and their stress levels even more people are sitting more toxic exposure is just massive and it's just growing and growing and growing by the day whether you got fires going on in like sydney right um so whether it's top pollution from burning or it's in the food or it's or toxic chemicals from wherever 
Um, you've got people's, the quality of nutrition is going down because the soils are being depleted. People are rushing through breakfast or skipping it. And that screws up their adrenal glands. I mean, the whole term break fast, you break the fast. That, that is a term to deal with the adrenal system. That when you wake up, your cortisol level is the highest because cortisol is released at night to tell the liver to release fuel to feed the brain so it can live. You, you need fuel at night to keep your brain alive. When the fuel doesn't have, when the brain doesn't have fuel, that's called stroke. So the, the body doesn't want that. So the, the, the brain tells the adrenals, release cortisol to tell the liver to release, release glucose to feed the brain. And that's the cycle. And then because you're not eating at night, cortisol levels go up gradually because you just need a more, you just need to release more and more cortisol. That's why when you wake up, your cortisol levels are the highest because you haven't eaten. So when you eat, you break the fast, which therefore calms down the cortisol response from the adrenal glands. One of the most important things people can do to help their adrenals is to have a real breakfast, not coffee, not sugar, not skipping breakfast, not glorified sugar called processed grains, to have a real solid protein, fat, and vegetable breakfast. My breakfast look like, looks like people's the evening meals because that's, that's what I need in order to drop the adrenal response. Now, I've also done genetic testing where I've checked my carb tolerance, and I have the carb tolerance, uh, a really low carb tolerance, where I, I really can't, I thought I was gluten intolerant, I was actually carb intolerant. So I need higher protein, I'm more of a keto paleo person genetically. Some people genetically are more Mediterranean, some people genetically are more um, high carb. Um, like I've got, I've got a YouTube channel, and on my website, I've got you know talks with the head of the genetics lab, and we're talking about all these different genetic tests where you can genetically determine your optimal diet, which does relate to adrenal fatigue. Because if you're eating incongruently for your genes, you're going to have stress responses and blood sugar crashes and all sorts of stuff that's going to affect your genes, affect your digestion. I mean, affect your adrenals, affect your mm -hmm. digestion, and so on. The other, the other really big thing that really screws up people's adrenal glands today more than more than it used to be is we're losing sleep. Sleep is the first casualty, the first casualty of people's busy lives. And it's especially if you're an entrepreneur or you've got deadlines for school or you're addicted to screens, social media, Game of Thrones, Facebook, whatever your vice is, the, the very first casualty is sleep. And, and, and there's also other, um, like of these pillars, uh, you know, there's four of the pillars can be sledgehammered as well. So most pillars crumble, but four can be sledgehammered. Uh, the body pillar can be sledgehammered with an accident or violence or sports injury. So a car, that, that's a sledgehammer. You can be sledgehammered by a massive toxic exposure. You, you get exposed to something really toxic, like you have a bad reaction to a medication, or which is the most common sledgehammer I see in terms of uh, acute toxic exposure. People can go on a binge of alcohol, which is, I think, the national sport in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that, that you can see that. That's a sledgehammer event. The other sledgehammer events can, of course, be the bothers or stressors pillar. You know, the death of a child, a sickness of a parent, a, an acute loss of a job, a sudden divorce, wh whatever it is. An emotional sledgehammer. And then the last sledgehammer is the infection, the bugs pillar. People can be sledgehammered by an infection or massive mold exposure, which is a version, not exactly an infection, but it's kind of in that realm 
of of being assailed by microscopic organism or their offshoots, mold mm. spores, or whatever chemicals they're they're, they're thrown into the air. Mm. So m- most people aren't sledgehammer by missing one night of sleep or eating one bad meal or skipping one breakfast or not exercising for a day. Like those six other pillars can are mostly almost always just crumbling. Four pillars also can crumble for sure, but those are the four that really just clinically I've seen just can sledgehammer. So what I see happen with people who have really bad fatigue issues is that they have six, seven pillars crumbling over the years, chronic sleep deprivation, skipping breakfast, not exercising or moving, you know, blah, 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 all these things. Then there's a sledgehammer event within two years of the onset of the symptoms of severe fatigue. And the reason why it's two years, like they had a bad car accident, and two years later they're suddenly chronic, or they had it. This happens all the time. They go for a vacation in one of the islands or whatever. They get food poisoning. They get really sick. They supposedly recover. They come back one to three months later, full blown chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, or some sort of fatigue issue. Um, what what happens is that it, within that two year period of that sledgehammer event, that's how much time it takes for the body's reserves to be burned up. To keep to try to deal with the issues caused by the sledgehammer, and that doesn't come from me just clinically. That comes from the insurance data from the car accident in, from the auto insurance industry in the United States. Because one of my professors in, in school did a lot of litigation work, and he says that in the car accident cases he did, the major accidents the companies want to res- settle as quickly as possible because the major symptoms onset within two years. And I'm literally sitting in neurology class with this professor in 2006. And I say to myself, huh, I wonder if that's true, not just with a head-on collision, but the chemical equivalent of a head-on collision and the stress equivalent of head-on collision. And not only in clinical practice was that true, but also the infectious equivalent of a head-on collision counted as well. So what happens, they have all this chronic crumbling thing in the background. Then there's a sledgehammer event of one of those four types or more. Uh, one of the one or more of those four types, and then within two years they get the chronic, the expression of the chronic issue. And so that's and I see that over and over and over again. Uh, and I think that would be true for me too, Sam. Now that you say that, I moved into an apartment that had been um, completely gutted by fire, mm. and they laid the carpet too early, and there was mold oh. under the carpet. I, I didn't realize that what it was yeah but I was in that apartment for two years and then I really got unwell yeah I mean it was a perfect storm for my body because there was also you know stress there was um a sort of infection at the same time so all of those things collided and I had I think more more than four sledgehammers but uh, so if if let's say somebody who's listening to this and they find themselves in the situation, they feel that that it hasn't been, you know, they haven't got to even off the starting blocks to get well. Mm-hmm. Where would be the three areas in that ten pillars that you would really start with? And I mean, besides, you've mentioned all the things to do. You've mentioned, you know, getting your lifestyle evaluated, get a coach have testing, you know, get functional, all the, all the things. But if, of those three, where would you be able to start until you could maybe get some testing done? Sure. So just to, um, to contextualize everything as one big piece, 
then to also give people, here are the things you can do in the interim. Um, I'll share what's called a cycle. This is, for those of you on YouTube, this is like 20 years of my life in one slide. This is the cycle of burnout and chronic disease. And for people who are listening, it can very easily explain it. So basically the cycle is this. You have bad lifestyle choices or bad circumstance. This is the 10 pillars. So bad circumstances, you're a six-year-old child and you're stressed, you're being fed bad food, you're not exercising, you're being assailed at school, uh, not sleeping. Well, these are not choices. These are circumstances because as a child, you don't know. So bad choices are circumstances interpreted through your genetics that lead to one of the four adaptive responses, inflammation, blood sugar dysregulation, free radicals, or tissue breakdown, which is, makes sense. If you're under a survival situation, your body's not interested in long-term health and repair. It's in about emergency survival. Your blood sugar is supposed to be dysregulated. You're supposed to be sensitive to inflammation to heal a wound or a slash wound from a tiger. You know, you don't care about free radical generation because you're trying to run away and, and so on and so forth. So you have adaptive responses from bad choices or circumstances. Then if you have chronic adaptive responses, again, interpreted through your genetics, you have damage to one or more of the three main body systems, hormone system, the gut GI system, or the liver detox system. Chronic breakdown of those organ systems leads to symptoms, fatigue, low mood, indigestion, weight gain, cravings, insomnia, chronic pain, hot flushes for women. And people with bad enough symptoms, they then start coping with bad lifestyle choices, which then creates more adaptation, which then creates more damage, which then creates more symptoms, which then leads to more coping, which then leads to more adaptation, more damage, more symptoms. And that's the cycle of chronic disease. And that's how you spiral down. The, what happens with functional testing, you know, gut, liver, adrenals, thyroid, food intolerances, mitochondria, all that stuff, that, has, that checks what organ systems in the, biochem the biochemistry of those organ systems have been damaged and how you adapt. And then the genetics testing tells you where, how do your genetics influence all, the, all those connections between all those phases because the connections between all those phases is your genetics because your genetics interpret your lifestyle changes, interpret the adaptation, interpret how the damage is manifesting the symptoms and so on. So with functional testing, you can identify where you're at and then customize a lifestyle nutrition plan to reverse that process. But it, but the foundation, the foundation before all of that, before all that stuff is lifestyle. Okay. So functional testing and genetics is critical for a, a, a true march towards resolution, but you can't rely on testing alone or supplements alone or whatever. Like you've got to look at the core lifestyle and that's the 10 pillars. The 10 pillars in my programs is the absolute root foundations to start. I don't like hand out tests over the phone. It's, it's, you do the lifestyle assessment first. In terms of the three most important pillars to focus on when it comes to dealing with fatigue, number one is breakfast and routine. Breakfast is a bookmark for not just breakfast, but also for routines because breakfast is part of your morning routine. And what I found was that it was the first ebook that I ever wrote. I wrote, it was called Ending Adrenal Fatigue, The Easy Breakfast Guide. And people, you know, the people can have access to that. I get give that as a free copy for people, your listeners. Um, and if you start with breakfast, then you have the opportunity to have level blood sugars during the day because you started correctly instead of spiking up and down with either glorified, you know, coffee, sugar, skipping breakfast, or glorified sugar in the form of processed grains. 
some people listening to this, well, I have my bulletproof coffee. It's like, you know, that can be really helpful for some people. And, but if you're caffeine sensitive, like I am genetically, and there's a genetic test for that, coffee gives me anxiety. Um, additionally, like not all coffee is clean. Like there can be molds and, and mycotoxins in the coffee. And if you have really clean coffee, you have the right genetics and you add fat and like cinnamon to it, then yeah, some coffee doesn't necessarily have to be as damaging as, as it has to be. Uh, but the caffeine really can throw people off and there's, there's better options for that. And look, adding the fat and the cinnamon and stuff can help mitigate the damage of caffeine for people who are really tired. But really, people should be focusing on a full protein, fat, and vegetable breakfast uh, to to really jumpstart their day. The second the second pillar that people should really focus on is their sleep, and that sleep must be protected. And so there are things that people can do. Like my next ebook is going to be on sleep. Like I because I, I had insomnia for twelve years, and I've worked with clients for years on their sleep. I'm, I'm formalizing everything into a, a book, but the the main things people can focus on with sleep is number one, pick a bedtime and stick to it, and and just just stick to it, and then avoid blue light and screens right before bed. And there's all sorts of things you can put on your computers, like like the the, the updated smartphones now have things like night mode or you know color tints and color filters under like if you're using an iPhone and it's under accessibility, you can put a color tint so everything looks more orange, which is the opposite of blue. And blue light is the thing that stimulates your brain to think it's daylight. So you fit, you can put F.Lux, which is a free program, to filter out the blue light as the sun is setting, depending on where you are um, in the world. There's, you know, dealing, blacking out your curtain, dealing with light, dealing with sound, dealing with, with motion. Like I find myself having to negotiate the cat with with some people at the cat oh mr mittens loves to cuddle at 3 a.m i was like you know that's great but mr mittens doesn't have chronic fatigue or you know fatigue in you so we're gonna have to negotiate the cat and it's god this one chapter titles negotiating the cat um there the worst the worst i've ever seen i i couldn't believe this the worst i've ever seen is a a woman with severe chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia had three cats but she had the cat door like her bedroom wall, the headboard where shared the wall to the to the backyard. She built a cat door over her bed, so the cats like literally leap onto her bed at night, and she's so confused as to why she's not getting <laughs> yeah. better. And um, I don't know whether to laugh or throw up when I saw that. It was just it was it was just unbelievable. So breakfast bedtime and the other thing that that people can really look at is take a very honest audit of what are the stressors in your life and by stressors i usually mean people okay and and that this is this is a very um this is a very challenging you know confronting even suggestion is that most of people's problems are other people and it doesn't mean you know, if everyone, if, if everyone's a jerk in your life, usually it's, you're the jerk, not them. But it, like there is a, I am asking for people for self-reflection here, but there are usually key situations or key people or key circumstances where the stress is so acute and obvious that, 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 that can really wear people down. And whether it's a relationship stress and people need to like, Look into Esther Perel's work, or um, 
you know, if you could put the top heavy theology aside, the five love languages in that book, like he's, he's very top heavy on his personal theology, but if you can get past that, um, the, the five love languages is a really, really great framework to deal with relationships. Um, if it's work life, you know, there's a whole set of literature on how to deal with that. If it's your kids, I mean, that's a whole layer of complexity um, uh, on that. Uh, and if clutter even is a form of stress, I mean, Marie Kondo with her life-changing magic of tidying up, that's why she's like a worldwide phenomenon right now because clutter is extremely stressful. Yeah. And, and that, that's, it may sound trivial to some people listening to this, but it's not, it's absolutely not. And electromagnetic field exposure is also a form of stressors that are put under it. So Turn, it also feeds into sleep, turning off Wi-Fi, turning off your phone, or even putting it to airplane mode, um, and looking at where do you have a smart meter that's been put on your box, either willingly or unwillingly, uh, putting on your house, a smart box, willingly or unwillingly, like that matters. And can you get that removed if you're, sen- not everyone's sensitive to electromagnetic fields, um, but some people really are. And if you can't, I had one um one person in Auckland, like she was just getting better and better and better. And then suddenly she just cratered and there was no change in her lifestyle whatsoever. Like it just made absolutely no sense. And then finally I was like, did they put a smart box on your, behind your, the wall on your bedroom window? And he, she went and she says, no, but my neighbor had one, which was right next to mine. And that's the thing. So all she had to do was switch her bed arrangement because electromagnetic fields have an exponential decay based on distance. So if you're 1x away, that's 1x exposure. If you're 2x away, then it's 1 fourth the exposure. If you're 3x away, it's 1 ninth. If you're 4x away, it's 1 16th the exposure. So, so you, it, distance matters. So that then you switch that up, and she started getting better again. So just to review, the, the breakfast, bedtime, and bothers, those are the three main pillars to look at in terms of how to um, – how to right now get, get some control over your life lots lots of content there i think this is one that people are going to need to listen to in bite sizes and one more question a brief one is what are your tips for living fabulously now i know you've shared lots of things but what are three simple things that you do every day so when you say live fabulously like live a beautiful carefree happy joyful life there's a wonderful technique from Thich Nhat Hanh. There's a beautiful little breathing technique that's called, it's, it's calm smile technique. What you do is you breathe in with your focus on your heart. Think the word calm. When you breathe out slowly, you become aware of your face and you think the word smile. And that's all you do. In, calm, out, smile. And it's in a beautiful it, it's just it's probably one of the most precious techniques I've ever come across. The simplicity, you can change the word calm to gratitude, whatever you want to do, but just in calm out smile. That's, that is such, it's, it's such a beautiful, simple technique. You can teach it to children, you know? Um, that's one thing that I would recommend. The other thing to live fabulously uh, is, is really do the audit on your screen time and your stress time. Just a lot of times people think, oh, I have to live, I have to do something extra. A lot of times it's not about doing something extra, it's just eliminating crap, you know? And, And the last thing for people to do is take your sleep seriously. It's really hard to feel fabulous if you're tired. 
And people do not take their sleep seriously. It's the first casualty, like I said. It's the first casualty to go on a daily basis. I'll just sacrifice this thing, this thing, you know, this this little bit of sleep, whatever. So that's what I would say. Brilliant. Thank you. Thanks so much for that. And you can find Dr. Sam Shea at his website. It's drsamshea.com and also on Facebook also under Dr. Sam Shea. And Sam, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. There's just so much goodness here. And I think, you know, one of the things that obviously is understand that 10 pillars of health that Sam has shared today, because it's never one thing. It is always things that are in either dis-ease or disharmony with one another. And we are integrated beings. It's not only one aspect. So yes, you can get all the physical aspects right. But if your emotional, your soulful, or your mental stuff is all like a sewer, it's not going to work. So well-being, you know, to get to total well-being, it's all of those aspects. And Sam sort of categorized them really neatly so that you can understand, well, if you even took that circle that Sam showed and did a little audit on yourself there and said, you know, like, how would I rate myself? But the best thing is, is that Sam does do free 15-minute consults. If you're interested in what he's got to say today on his website that I've just shared, and he's, you can text to get his a book. If you text the word adrenal, if you're in the U.S., you'd text double four triple two, And if you're in Australia, you'd text plus six one four two eight four seven nine seven hundred. And you'd get that ebook. I think the three things that if you know that you've got fatigue of any kind, whether it's adrenal or not, the three things that Sam shared, I think are just foundational is make sure that you're eating breakfast, a wholesome breakfast and eating it early enough for anyone that I work with who has adrenal fatigue. We make sure that's within half an hour of waking that you start the eating process. Even if it's not your full breakfast then, but you don't go off and exercise and then come back. No, no, no. Before you take the dog for a a walk or, you know, like Sam used the word movement, I love that word too, but also sleep. You know me, uh, if you've been following my podcast, I run Sleep Timber every year where we talk about the value of quality sleep and what's absolutely fundamental to um, uh, be able to live fabulously and then that of auditing your stresses you know if you are living without awareness in your world this will stop and help you take stock so thanks for listening everyone and thank you sam for being on the show with me today thank you so much i'm very grateful for these opportunities thank you thank you so much for listening and i would love to know what you enjoyed most about this episode You can connect with me on Facebook by searching for Living Fabulously with Bev or feel welcome to leave a message or comment on my website. You can get the links and any references from this episode in the show notes at my website www.livingfabulously.com forward slash podcasts. Do you have a friend who you think deserves to live fabulously? Spread the love around by sharing the podcast with them right now. Until next time, be sure to live the fab life. The information shared here and in our programs and webinars should not be seen as medical advice and is not meant to take the place of seeing licensed health professionals.